This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, as always, Dr. Andy Johnson. Title of today's podcast is called, It's Research-Based. Now, there's a mistaken assumption by some that if something is said to be research-based or evidence-based, it means that it's been proven to work. It will work, and it should be used unequivocally. You just have to see the hyphenated word research-based in front of or behind a strategy, approach, or method, and you're in. No questions asked. It's research-based. It proves your method works and all others are wrong. Glory, hallelujah, your strategies are the right ones to use. And anybody who thinks otherwise is wrong, wrong, wrong. Oh, the joy of it. And if you say research shows in front of a declarative statement, you can say to the world with joyful glee and absolute certainty that the statement is right and all others are wrong because research proves it. And we should certainly certainly believe your point of view because it's research-based. And by inference, any other point of view is unicorn-based or monkey-based or fairy tale-based or pure folly. Now, some believe that research is used to determine rightness and wrongness, to find certainty in an uncertain world. Research is used to separate sheep from goats, chaff from wheat, saint from sinners, etc., 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 A holy canon is then created based on chosen bits of research. The research is chosen to support a predetermined idea. This is our holy book, they say. The science of reading, holy book of research-based. It is inerrant, unfailing. Why do I know? Because it's research-based. We have research to prove that our science of reading, holy book of research-based is inerrant and unfailing divine word of science. It can be proven. For in chapter 2, verse 27, it says, quote, Warily, warily unto you we speaketh thus. Those who embraceth the science of reading holy book of research based are right and all heathens are wrong. Unquote. Paid consultants then go out and evangelize. In their evangelical zeal, they demonize those who would dare challenge their thinking. They castigate those who would speak against the science of reading holy book of research-based. Their views are the holy views handed down to them on high from the holy, unseen, and mysterious science. Science is to be loved, feared, and obeyed. Woe be it unto those who turn their back to science. The scientific commandments are to be followed without question. Because, after all, it's science and the science of reading. And how do I know? Because it's got science in the title, and it says words like research and research-based a lot. Yes, They're zealots, but they're zealots for science. 
And by the way, did you know that you can have two different views on reading, both views being research-based? So let's look at this for a minute, shall we? When you look at the research. If a claim is said to be research-based, you should be able to look at the research that supports the claim. That is, after all, what we do in academia. If a claim is made, the research behind it is cited so that you can look at the research behind the research-based claim and see if it's legitimate. And yes, pre-K-12 education is part of the academy. It's part of academia. And the currency used in academia is peer-reviewed research published in academic journals. Not I thinkisms, or famous people, or radio journalists, or anecdotal evidence, or personal experience, or data pulled out of context, or think tanks. In the academy, we use research. And research is not research unless and until it has been subjected to blind peer review and published in an academic journal. Now, let's take a look at the importance of blind peer review. Why is the blind peer review process important? Why can't you just collect data and call it research? After all, that's what state legislators and journalists do. But blind peer review is used to make sure that you don't monkey with the statistics or your measures are valid, your data are accurate, and your conclusions are actually based on the data collected, not what you want the data to say. Peer review is a subjectivity filter, a bias filter. It's a monkey business filter. And it's not that we don't trust researchers. Well, it is actually because we don't trust researchers. There's tenure and promotion to earn, you see, books to write, appearances to make, consulting fees to charge, and interviews to give. So, it is common that their zealotry and desires can get in the way of seeing clearly. What they want to find can sometimes fog the lens of objectivity just a bit. And that's why we need a jury of our peers to check our work before it's published. Now, also the blind peer review process helps the authors of that study find mistake or analysis they hadn't considered. Now, I've been part of the blind review process and it can be brutal, but it always leads to a better product. Again, it is one subjectivity filter to ensure there's a certain amount of objectivity in the research. It a good peer review makes it less likely that the research is not being used. A peer review makes it less likely that the research won't be used to sell a product or promote a point of view. Now, in blind peer review research, the reviewers evaluate the study without knowing who conducted it, hence the term blind peer review. Reviewers consider such thing as the clarity of the research question, the theoretical context in which the research question was set, 
the adequacy of the methodology, the analysis of the data, the interpretation of the data, the validity of the conclusions, and the quality of the writing. Then the reviewers have four options. They can recommend the article for publication, recommend for publication with revisions, suggest specific revisions be remade and resubmitted for consideration, or recommend that the article be rejected. Academic journals, yes, they publish studies, research studies, but they also publish theoretical articles. Blind peer review is also used for theoretical articles. Now let's understand that a theory is built on research. A theory is a dot-to-dot -dot picture used to explain a set of facts and understand phenomenon. Each dot on this dot-to-dot -dot theory picture is a research study. It's only by looking at many studies that the theory begins to emerge and you begin to see the whole. Not one or two studies, but many. Now, theoretical articles are sometimes called secondary research. These are not a lesser form of scholarly work. Some, however, equate a theoretical article with opinion. The Educational Research Information Center, ERIC, which is part of the Institute of Educational Science, which is part of the U.S. Department of Education, they did this for a time. Anything that was not a controlled experimental study, anything that was not used to test a hypothesis, was called opinion, an opinion article. Now, here's my opinion on their opinion articles. What a bunch of clowns. They don't understand. They are ignorant. While an individual research study looks deeply at a part of a phenomenon, secondary research or theoretical articles takes a wide look, looking at many studies at that phenomenon. Both looks are necessary to understand clearly and move the field of education forward. One is not more important than the other. Original research is not more important than secondary research. They are both of value and importance. So let's get back to peer review. Peer review simply denotes a process the process of peer review. The quality or rigor of this process varies. Reviewers and editors of highly prestigious academic journals use a process that is rigorous and very selective. These journals have low acceptance rates and tend to have considerable influence on the field. Other journals have a less rigorous review process and higher acceptance rates. However, all are still considered peer-reviewed journals. And the peer review process is not without bias or flaws. Peer review does not magically make research unbiased or pure. It's not possible for human beings to have a completely objective, unbiased view of anything. Peer review is simply 
one filter to try to remove some of the impurities related to bias, methodology, theoretical context, applications, and conclusions. One filter, but it is a necessary filter. So let's take a look at white papers. Some scholars put out what's called a white paper. On her letters website, Louisa Motes has a white paper. It's entitled Literacy Professional Learning, 10 Reasons Why It's Essential. This white paper is used to prove to people that they should give her lots of money to get all professionally trained by her letters professional development. So what's a white paper? A white paper is a paper that looks like an article you might find in a peer-reviewed academic journal. It has headings and subheadings. It uses objective academic languages, language and citations to bolster the declarative statements made. The only difference between a white paper and an article appearing in a peer-reviewed academic journal is that a white paper has not been peer-reviewed and has not been published in an academic journal. In a white paper, people like Louisa Motes can say whatever they want to say and there's no one to counter them or check their claims. And again, white papers look like articles found in peer-reviewed academic journals. They look like them, but they're not. And people who don't know the difference reference them as if they were from peer-reviewed academic journals. White papers are published on a lot of websites and put out by think tanks and political groups. White papers can be interesting. I write them myself. But they're white papers. They're not published in peer-reviewed journals. And here's the thing. Louisa Moat's white paper was not submitted to a legitimate academic journal. And when you actually look at the sources she cites, when you try to be a responsible consumer of educational research, you see that her claims have nothing whatsoever to do with the research being cited. When you actually look at her citations and the studies she cites, you see that she misinterprets misuses and falsifies research studies to support her claims. She also cites poorly conducted research that has little to do with the point she's trying to make. And you wouldn't know this if you didn't critically read and analyze her cited sources. This is what a responsible consumer of educational research does whenever confronted with the phrase research base or research. We never take anything at face value. We have a natural inclination to doubt. So a little bit more about peer-reviewed academic journals. <clears throat> a peer-reviewed academic journal is different from a magazine. Magazines and newspapers, they just send a reporter out to cover things. And reporters just write stuff. And by the way, Emily Hanford is a reporter. And she's made quite a name for herself in the area of reading instruction. But she's a journalist. 
a radio documentarian. She's not an expert in reading. She's never taught a reading class. And I wonder if she has ever read a research article related to reading. Reporters and radio documentarians are not experts in their fields. Their work is not peer-reviewed. They don't have expertise. They don't know what questions to ask or what data to look for. They don't know which sources are valid and which are not. They don't cite their sources. They're not responsible consumers of educational research. Reporters and radio documentarians are important, but at the end of the day, they're just people who write stuff. Unlike magazines, academic journals carry no advertisements. They don't want to be swayed or give the appearance of being swayed by advertising revenue. Academic journals are all written by experts in their fields and not by journalists or radio reporters. As well, all articles are reviewed by a jury of two or more people who are experts in their field related to the topic of the article. If accepted, then it's published. That's the difference between a magazine and an academic journal or a newspaper and an academic journal. Now, this idea that research shows something's effective. The mistaken assumption based on a lack of understanding about the research process and educational research is that if a strategy has been shown to be effective with a certain population for a certain purpose, for a certain time, and at a certain level, well then it must certainly be effective for all students, for all purposes, at all times. It's research-based, they happily declare as they march around the room with high knees. Research-based, research-based, we are so wonderful research-based. But this is clownery. When the statement is made that research has shown a practice, method, or strategy to be effective, one must always ask, effective for who, for what purpose, how, at what level, for how long? Now, a case in point, John Hattie wrote a very popular book, Visible Learning. In one chapter, he compares whole language to direct instruction, and he uses a meta-analysis. A meta-analysis is when you put a whole bunch of studies that look at a similar thing into a mathematical formula to answer a research question. It's like research that uses research is, as data. Looks at a whole bunch of studies to answer a question. Now, after his meta-analysis on direct instruction and whole language, Hattie comes to the conclusion that direct instruction is superior to whole language. Imagine that. I guess then that this proves that whole language has been debunked. And I guess Andy has been wrong for 30 years. And thank goodness for John Hattie. Maybe that over-caffeinated little bald man will finally shut up. This, by the way, points to the severe limitations of people outside the field of literacy trying to do literacy research. 
John Hattie may be a meta-analysis expert, but he is far from a literacy expert. In asking his meta-analysis questions, he has no understanding of the context. He doesn't know what questions to ask, what data to look for, what measures to use to adequately assess the data or the research studies. And research, like John Hattie's, based on a false assumption, always leads to invalid conclusions. Again, research based on false assumptions always lead to invalid conclusions. Hattie's meta-analysis is based on a false based on false assumptions. It's based on ignorance. <clears throat> now let me explain. Direct instruction is a pedagogical strategy that has been shown to be effective for teaching low-level skills. Yes, all good teachers understand and use direct instruction. And yes, there's research to support its use for teaching some low-level skills. It is effective for some purposes with some students when used correctly. And every teacher should know how and when to use direct instruction. And this doesn't mean that direct instruction is good for all students, for all purposes, for all times, and that it should become a complete reading program. It's not direct uh, instruction or whole language. And this is where his ignorance really shows. Because whole language teachers use direct instruction. It's a pedagogical strategy. Whole language teachers use direct instruction. So research based on a false assumption always leads to invalid conclusions. And this shows the extreme limitation of John Hattie's work. So three big points here to end up, to conclude. Point number one, teachers and administrations, administrators must become informed and responsible consumers of educational research. When someone says research shows this and research proves that, we must always, always ask, what research? Give me a citation. Let me look at it. Effective for what? For who? At what level? For what purpose? How? And then we must actually go and look at the research study. Because I know it's hard to believe, but some people are a little weaselly. Point number two, state and federal legislators, those who want to impose mandates on teachers, telling them what and how to teach. And I'm going to say this, and I mean this in the most respectful way possible, but pull your heads out of your collective asses. Do what's right, not what's ex uh, politically expedient. If you're not going to review the research related to reading instruction, for God's sakes, at least call in those who have. Stop making educational decisions based on the testimony of radio journalists. And point number three, we all want students to achieve their full literacy potential. Science of, uh, science of reading ideologists, they want this thing. I know that's your intent, and it's a good intent. But intent does not mitigate impact. In five years, when the full impact of what you've done will be realized, 
and people see just how much time, money, and resources you've wasted and how many teachers you've run out of the classroom and why we have a shortage of teachers and not enough money to pay for smaller class sizes, I'll be doing another podcast five years from now, and this one will be called, I Told You So. This has been the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, as always, Dr. Andy Johnson.